0: Good morning. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. I'm Travis Shaddix. Thank you for joining me. We are live on YouTube every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern and Wednesday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern is when the show is live and you can always catch it later you can go back and watch the shows later and if you want to listen to it the show is also on most podcast uh platforms i think apple podcast is going to come on later this week it's it's there but it's not quite ready yet so if you just want to hang out and listen to it while you're driving or working or whatever and uh, you don't want to go to youtube you can go to the podcast whatever podcast you use it's probably there too so welcome. It's the last episode before Thanksgiving. Um, let's get into it today pretty quick. I have an article. I have a periodical article from Sci- SciTech Daily that I'm going to read through real quick. It's very short. And then I'm going to go over a, a refereed article. And at the end I have a video. So, if any of you uh, enjoy watching me anguish and, <laughs> and misery by watching YouTubers, you will see that at the end. Um, but what we do here, if you're new to the channel, is we go over turfgrass science literature and explore, you know, the 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 science and the evidence that supports our best management practices, and hopefully, you know, help develop critical thinking skills and a basic understanding of where to go find information that is evidence-based how to you know develop healthy skepticism and hopefully at the end of the day hopefully result in a more efficient business for you or uh, easier lawn care maintenance or golf course maintenance or sport turf whatever it might be so that's kind of the The uh, One of the objectives of the channel is to provide some evidence-based information and help people, you know, know where to go find it. So the article I'm going to go over real quick here is just a periodical article about, we've been going over thatch for, I don't know, a week or two. And it's management practices or it's management products and so forth. And oftentimes you'll find people trying to sell you things. That will reduce thatch products, not services. I mean, there are so many services that have been shown for decades to to have an effect on thatch production, such as top dressing, bird cutting, and so forth. Uh, but when it comes to bugs in a jug and bottles and things like that, there's only one or two active ingredients, or you know, ingredients that have consistently shown a beneficial effect. And as far as I know, none of them are bugs in a jug. Most of them are enzymatic or there's one case where I, I'm st- I still say the jury's out on this. It's not s- solid yet, but there's one case where there's a type of sugar that appears to have some sort of effect. We haven't got to that yet, so don't worry about it. You haven't missed anything if you if you're wondering what that is. I haven't gone over it yet, but I will. Um, so that's what we've been going over. And the, the the product in the literature that seems to regularly and consistently show a beneficial effect on reduction of thatch accumulation is an enzyme called laccase. And that enzyme comes from an organism, white root fungi. There's many different species or types of white root white rot fungi. I'm going to say that 10 times a day and I don't think I'm going to get it right once I can't it's like a tongue twister to me so I wanted to briefly kind of go over white rot fungi just and I'm not a pathologist but I wanted to kind of just briefly um go over an article that doesn't really I thought it would explain it it doesn't do a great job explaining it but it kind of goes over it it's in SciTech Daily it was published um just uh oh today November 21st 2023 Oh, no, 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 no. That's, oh, that's today. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was published in 2019, December 7th of 2019. And and the title is How Enzymes Produced by White Rot Fungi Reign Supreme in Worldwide Carbon Recycling. So it's an enzyme in in fungi, in the white rot fungi, or several enzymes, actually, that can have an effect on thatch. Well, in their world, in the fungi world, they're not necessarily thinking about thatch. Fungi are breaking down... You know cellulose and lignin and things like that from from high carbon containing plants like trees and so forth so and we're going to go through here and just read real quick how the white rot fungi is in is a part of the worldwide carbon recycling this was written by or was it was i guess it was written by richard wolfden wolfenden professor of biochemistry and biophysics. He details how white rot fungi produce enzymes that turn out to be key players in the carbon cycle. The re- So I guess he didn't write it. He was just, I guess, part of this project. The recycling of most of the carbon in nature depends on breakdown of two polymers in woody matter, notably cellulose and lignin. In a paper just published in the Journal of Bioge- Biochemistry, Richard Wolfenden and colleague Charles Lu- Lewis both at the university of north carolina department of biochemistry and biophysics show the extent to which enzymes from woodland fungi accelerate the breakdown of lignin a complex polymer held together entirely by ether linkages so if you remember in, in the world of thatch we have sort of a highly soluble component of thatch and a very insoluble component of thatch the insoluble is dominated by lignin and the soluble we're not really so much worried about that per se those things like Clippings, leaf tissue; those are are very easily broken down. They're they're not really complex sugars. They're they're easily degradable. It's the remaining lignin and in the insoluble component, the thatch, the lignin and the thatch, uh, that is why thatch does not degrade or decompose very readily. And what they're saying here is there's a complex polymers that are held together entirely by ether linkages. These are this is a lignin. After a tree falls in the forest and, and the chainsaw has done its work, clusters of white rot fungi appear near the cut surfaces. And on here, there's a photo for those listening. It's a photo of a tree stump that's fallen over. Uh, they, they'd cut it, and it looks like they left it in the, in the forest for some time. And there's white rot fungi developing around the, the perimeter of this cut tree stump. I'm not going to be able to pronounce these organisms or these um, enzymes, so I'm going to do my best, but etherase, etherase, (laughs) I guess, etherase from these lowly fungi use the antioxidant glutathione to clip ether linkages in 23 milliseconds. I don't know why that's important, but Lewis and Wolfenden show that without these enzymes, the half-life for the needed hydrolysis of the ether linkages in lignin and water... Would be about 100 billion years exceeding the age of the universe by a long shot so it turns out that these familiar organisms catalyze what is generally considered to be the rate determining step in the global global carbon cycle using enzymes that are found to achieve the largest rate enhancement known for any of the thousands of enzymes that exist without these enzymes without carbon cycling we'd be in a world of hurt so basically what they're saying is is that it, these enzymes in these white rot fungi catalyze the breakages of these ether linkages, links in lignin very rapidly. And without that, the, the carbon would just stay in the form of lignin and it would never break down. And I guess we wouldn't exist. That's <laughs> what they're basically saying. 100 billion years it would take for the lignin to break down without, um, without these enzymes and white rot fungi. Okay. So that's also what we use or what we found in turf grass science to help break down thatch. Okay. The lignin component of thatch is the problem. It's not so much the cellulose and the leaf tissue. Okay. So let's get into today's article. And remember at the end, for those just joining us at the end, I got a video, um, to go over in a a product because I want to link that product with this particular article that I'm going to go over today and explain how my process, my thought process about whether or not in this case, this specific product um, would be worth exploring if you have an issue with your thatch in your lawn or your fairway or whatever the case might be. But you know, oftentimes we're presented. What would you What would you do, Travis? Or what you know What do you think? Well, I'm going to walk you through my thought process using this a short video and a product online at the end of today. Let's get into the article today. The article is entitled "Influence of Selected White Rot Fungi and Top Dressings on the Composition of Thatch Components of Four Turf Grasses." It's published by Sartain and Bulk in 1984 in agronomy journal. So again, a top tier article, top tier uh, journal. Um, this was with Sartain and Volk. The, this was at University of Florida where I did all my work, which I'm sure you all are familiar with. It. That's where I did my work. They did this study at the exact same location I did my master's and my PhD in the northwest side of Gainesville. They brought some plugs and did it in the greenhouse. We're going to go through this. But remember, I'm going to set the stage here a little bit. Is that there was prior prior to this publication, there had been other publications that we've already gone over that have sh- that showed that thatch was a problem. They described what it was and what it is and why it's you know why it's hard to break down. And at the end of yesterday's article, which was the um was it Murray and Juska, I think it was the Murray Juska paper from Hawaii, they said you know this nothing these bugs in a jug aren't working, and it's not 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 you know. Um, surprising that it doesn't work because that's just composed of lignin and lignin um, is difficult to break down and at the end of that paper it cited an article lignin biochemistry and explained that um that certain white rot fungi have a compound in them that might enhance the breakdown basically and then this that was in 77 so eight years later seven years later there's been some other papers, but seven years later, this team with with Sartain and Volt come in and say, well, there may be something to these white rot fungi. Let's see if we can figure it out and see if there's something going on here. Now, so they had not yet uh, extracted the enzymes out of these white rot fungi or identified which ones might be beneficial. Okay, so we've already gone over and and identified lacase as a a potential uh, enzyme that would be beneficial to you. But at this point, they didn't know that. They just knew that white rot fungi might be beneficial. So what they did was they went and they, well, I'll explain it. They went and they pulled some samples and then they they inoculated some turf grass with white rot fungi, not the actual enzymes. So let's read through here. Thatch is an intermingled layer of living and dead stems, leaves, tolens, and roots of turf grass that develop between the layer of green vegetation and the soil surface. A small amount of thatch and turf grass is advantageous because it provides resilience. He's going to go through a lot of benefits here. I'm not going to argue the benefits, but but I would just say, take it with a little bit of skepticism, knowing that, (laughs) you know, the, the disadvantages and advantages of thatch, um, are well documented, but some of these have been sent, have since been sort of, you know, not debunked, but re- partially refuted. Just say that. Remember, this was written in 84, um, increases water toler, water reduces weed infestation and increases wear tolerance and insulates the underlying soil against temperature extremes. However, excessive accumulation of undecomposed surface organic matter is a major problem in turfgrass management. Leading to problems such as poor quality turf grass, reduced penetration of water. Remember, we've talked about that. It doesn't really reduce it; it just slows it during the initial during initial infiltration. But it, you know, after that, it's fine. Proneness to scalping, change in fertilization efficiency, increased insect and disease control problems, increased heat and cold injury, incidence of dry spots, and poor stands of overseeded of cool season for cool season grasses. So there's a lot of disadvantages he's citing and he has citations for each of these but i guess what i'm saying is don't just assume it you'd have to go read these articles to be convinced whether or not what he's saying is you know sufficient to convince you but clearly there's a problem with thatch that's the point since the decomposition of organic matter is a biological process the factors which affect the microbial activity will influence the rate of thatch decomposition so this is what's referred to as a presupposition Okay, there's no citation there per se. He just makes a claim saying since the decomposition of organic matter is a biological process, since A equals B, factors which affect microbial activity, B equals C will influence the rate of thatch decomposition. A equals C, right? We talked about that yesterday. You can't, you can't do that. So I'm sorry you wrote that in here, but we can't automatically assume that any factor that affects microbial activity will influence the rate of thatch decomposition. I'm sure if you were Jerry were here, he would, you know, probably argue with me. <laughs> but that's the reality. We're making a we're pre- we're making a presupposition that A equals B and B equals C, therefore A equals C, or A affects B and B affects C, and then therefore A affects C. We, you know, it's an easy trap to fall into, but it's a flaw in reasoning. You can't always do that. And in this case, you definitely can't do that. You can't go out there and pour pure, you know pure cane sugar out there, which is soluble carbon, which is very likely going to increase the microbial activity, and then just assume that that's going to affect the rate of thatch decay. Okay, you have to have some sort of evidence besides that. You're making a huge uh, assumption there. As an example, microbial activity is reduced in acid soil with thatch accumulation decreased by liming soil pH from 5.4 to 6.8. And we talked about the Satchel paper, I think it was Satchel or mirroring juska in 77. We talked about when he limed that soil, it was so acidic that when he limed it, he actually did see an effect on thatch reduction. That's very possible. And that paper, you know, we discussed that paper. So you can go back and read that paper. The major component components, the major components, thatch, are, well oh, there's a missing word there. The major components of thatch are cellulose, hemicellulose, and lignin. So we're not too concerned about cellulose or hemicellulose per, cellulose per se. This is what we're really concerned about is lignin, remember. That's the big one. That's the one we want to keep an eye on. Anything that affects cellulose, any product that says, um, you know, cellulase is going to reduce cellulose. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, yeah, I I don't think it's, I don't need evidence to support that. I mean, cellulose, cellulase, we, I know it breaks down cellulose, but I'm not overly concerned about that because cellulose is not the problem usually in thatch accumulation. Remember that, okay? It's lignin. So don't get confused or distracted by, you know, a, a, a even a scientific article or a presentation or a sales pitch that says, this product contains cellulose, lace. It's going to break down cellulose in your thatch. I know that's probably true. I mean, I know cellulase exists. I know it breaks down cellulose. I know cellulose exists in thatch. But don't, don't fall into that because remember, just don't forget it's lignin. That's the big problem. The cellulose will break down probably naturally with very little input from us. Okay. It, it that's not a major problem. So, so it shouldn't be a major concern to you. It should be the lignin. It contains approximately twice the lignin content of live grass. What is it? The major oh thatch thatch contains approximately twice the lignin content of live grass. The reason it it that that's the reason it is decay resistant. So he states that right there from the Le- Ledebourer Scogli sixty seven paper which we've discussed. Several species of microorganisms are lignolytic. But only the white rot fungi completely decompose and assimilate lignin. I don't know if that's true, but it does have a citation here. This Kirk seventy one citation. Cowling. Oh, I'm not gonna. Sk- I'm gonna skip over that. Since effective biological control of thatch has not been developed, and this was in nineteen eighty four, and white rot fungi degrade lignin, a pot culture experiment was initiated to determine the relative number one the relative effectiveness of selected white rot fungi in, in cellulose and lignin degradation number two the influence of top dressing treatments on that decomposition number three the influence of turf species on the effectiveness of the fungi to reduce that so we're going to look at several different white rot fungi we're going to look at a couple different top dressing levels and we're going to look at four different turf grasses in this study but he makes a good statement i mean it says you know here's an a equals b or a, a leads to b b equals c but he says that's what it is but we're going to look at it you know since the effective biological control if that has not been developed and and white rot fungi degrade lignin so basically saying since since these fungi degrade lignin and thatch contains lignin we're going to look into it that's perfectly fine but you know well, we don't want to say because these fungi degrade lignin and thatch contain lignin therefore this this product would degrade lignin or this product would reiterate lignin in thatch, I should say. We don't want to necessarily make that connection um, until we do the work. And that's what he says. We're going to go do the work and find out. Is there anything here? Four species of highly thatched turf grass. So we're going to look at Bermuda grass. We're going to look at centipede grass. He did Kentucky bluegrass and he did St. Augustine grass, which I thought was a strange one. St. Augustine grass is very common in Florida, but that St. Augustine grass, I don't know if I've ever seen a thatch problem in St. Augustine grass, but It's a Stoleniferous grass for those people who are cool season people. For some reason, St. Augustine grass is real common in Florida. I never really have liked it, but it does greatly mask other weeds like like, um, crabgrass. You might have a lot of crabgrass in a St. Augustine grass lawn, but you tend not to really notice it because the leaf blades of St. Augustine grass are so wide and coarse. So it is a fairly good grass for Florida, but I don't really know why it's so popular there. Anyway. It, but it's a stoloniferous grass, and it doesn't really develop a lot of thatch. But anyway, uh, these four turf grasses were inoculated with four isolates of white rot fungi. And it has the four isolates here. And I'm going to read through these in the, in the next co- in the upcoming table, so I'm not going to read them here. These were to study their effect on thatch decomposition. Six-inch plugs, si- plugs six-inch in diameters and six-inch deep of each turf grass were taken from field plots and transferred to pots in the greenhouse. The fungi were obtained from Forest Product Laboratory of Medicine in Wisconsin, and grown in one, liters, one liter of malt a, a, ag, agar, agar a, a, whatever, I can't pronounce that word, agar, it's a, basically a media, well, that's what he says right here, a media for growing things, until they reached auger, that's what it is, an auger. that's how you pronounce that, sorry, until they reached the resting stage. After being sonicated to break up the hypha and cells, the media were brought to a volume of four liters with sterile distilled water, 100 milliliters of the dilute media have a cell count representative of those given in table one were applied to the surface of each pot. So they when they got the fungi, they grew it in the in the lab on some auger plates and then they removed them and they sonicated it and broke it all up and they, they suspended it in a solution of water, distilled water. And then from that solution, they injected it on top of the turf grass pots. That's how they inoculated the the, the treatments that's how they applied the treatments um let's talk about the 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 products the the let's see if i can get this on here usually i can't do this now i'll just leave it out um let's talk about this because i'm going to come back to this and the on the video at the end of the day we're going to have a video so the white rot fungi or i'm never going to be able to pronounce these things but polyporous giganteus Core, core whatever core versicolor and phoebe they have, he has the actual right rot fungi species and uh, genus and species or whatever here i guess it's species okay and there's a reason why i want to show that because at the end we're going to go to a product that contains a variety of different microorganisms and they identify them but he has the the species of the white rot fungi that he used and the concentrations and so forth um that that were applied okay in the suspension or whatever Okay, the top dressing levels were no top dressing. It looks like po- it's point three centimeters, so that's what a quarter of an inch maybe. Um, is that a quarter of an inch? No, it's a tenth of an inch. Around a, a little around a tenth of an inch of sand and a tenth of an inch of sand containing colloidal phosphate for moisture retention. So the idea of this colloidal phosphate was he was, just, he was trying to top dress with that with the intention of increasing the moisture retention. And then that moisture retention would, in turn, increase the microbe microbe activity or the environment for microbial growth. That was the thought process behind that. We're going to find that it didn't do anything. But that's the reason he included colloidal phosphate. And these were imposed on subplot treatments of the four fungi whole plot treatments. So it was a split plot in the the greenhouse. Uh, Three quarter inch plug, two centimeters, plugs two centimeters in diameter, which is almost an inch and four centimeters deep or four inches deep were divided into one i'll just call two centimeters one inch even though it's not divided into one inch sections for lignin cellulose and weight loss on ignition carbon and nitrogen analysis these plugs were were taken at six and 12 months after the initial inoculation so six months and then a year later he actually went and pulled the samples and meanwhile he's keeping these plants alive in the greenhouse two plugs per pot were taken simultaneously at each sampling since the same plug could not be used for all analyses. Two centimeter sections of one of each of the two plugs were ground to pass a two mish. Okay, you don't need all that. Analyzed for lignin and cellulose and acid detergent fiber. Weight loss ignition was used to determine the uh, following ignition. Okay. Total nitrogen and carbon were evaluated using a micro-Keldol apparatus and a leco carbon analyzer. So if anybody's ever used a leco they can be the greatest joy or the greatest <laughs> headache ever <laughs> but they're very good when they're working and they automatically combust everything in a very very high temperature and analyze the carbon and nitrogen uh so anyway they use a the micro too so micro just so you know is a way of boiling everything in acid and it's, it's liquefying everything and reducing everything down so it doesn't oxidize off and it boils it in acid then you take a, a aliquot of that cool, cooled liquid. And then you can analyze that on some instruments. That's they, that's how it was done for ages. That's how I did all my nitrogen analysis on my master's and my PhD. <clears throat> okay. So let's get to the results. So that's what they did. They're in the greenhouse. They took some plugs from the greenhouse of four turf grasses, centipedes, St. Augustine grass, Bermuda, and Kentucky bluegrass. They inoculated <clears throat> each of those <clears throat> with four white rot fungi, and they had two top dressing levels. And they measured the lignin concentration and cellulose con- uh, concentration six months and 12 months afterwards. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me, I got some, <clears throat> something in my throat. I'm sorry. <clears> throat> okay, see if I can get through this without coughing. Okay, the influence of white rot fungi on thatch parameters. And so we're going to go through each turf grass. So he, he analyzed each individual turf grass as a separate, basically, it's a separate study. While Bermudagrass cores inoculated with this particular Gigantea uh, strain contain a significantly lower cellulose con- content 12 months after inoculation than did the control, this organism did not significantly reduce the lignin content of thatch. Table two. So here we go in table two. He's talking about this product right here and you're, you're looking at uh, this reduction here in cellulose from here. I don't know why he said. It says. <clears throat> I don't know why he said that because it doesn't look like there's a reduction in cellulose there, but anyway it did not significantly reduce the lignin content of thatch. So I don't know why he's saying that. I think that might, oh, Phoebe. Okay, I'm looking at the wrong one. So it's this one right here. So this, this, this one right here showed a reduction in cellulose, but you can see here that there was not a reduction in lignin, although it's pretty close, pretty close to that least significant difference. The, this organism, the versicolor organism, reduced the lignin and weight loss on ignition components of the thatch. All fungi tested except the Phebia gigantea reduced the lignin content compared to the control. So that's what I want to show is the... I'm going to, have to, I'm going to try to zoom in on this so you guys can see it. Because all I want to really show is the lignin. And I'll try to explain it for those people listening. So I'm looking at table two, the effect of white rot fungi 12 months after application on cellulose lignin weight loss on ignition and carbon to nitrogen ratio. So what he's talking about is this um, lignin content. Here's the control, which is seven centigrams per gram. The least significant difference is 1.8. And all of them re- resulted in a, except for this one, I guess that this, this one's very close. All of them resulted in a reduction in lignin concentration compared to not doing anything. OK, notice that all of them also resulted in an increase relative to, Oh know, this was a 12 months. Never mind. So we see a reduction in weight loss on ignition, which, again, is, you know, I wouldn't put a whole lot of confidence in that, but it is it's there. And we see a reduction in lignin from simply infecting or um, um, inoculating these turf grasses with the actual organism, not even the enzyme from the organism, just in, infecting it with the organism. So, in 1984, there was pretty clear evidence that, man, these things might be doing something. These bugs in a jug might be doing something, <laughs> okay? Yesterday's thing, I think I titled Bugs in a Jug. Well, these bugs in a jug actually have an imp- had an impact, but they're the right ones applied at the right rate. <clears throat> okay, question in thatch, I mean, question in, in chat is... um. Oh, lush says fine fescue gets thatchy around here, yeah, and then Looney says fine fescue gets thatchy. We have th- we have fine fe- fine fescue here in Lexington. Not a real big fan of it because it doesn't do quite well um, compared to tall fescues. Um, but I, I, it's hard to explain. Like if you have a really dense stand of fine fescue, then yeah, it's gonna it's gonna develop a thatch sort of type environment for sure because those it's so dense and fine textured that, you know, it it can develop an underlying layer of tissue that tends to develop over time. So that's what we notice here in Lexington. I don't really see it here much unless it's in the shade, but it can, it can occur. Yeah. Oh, ground up organic. Oh, good morning, ground up organic. I haven't seen you before. I, I, at some point, maybe for Christmas or something, I, I, I need to, I want to invite some people on to, to ask you what, why, <laughs> what have I done to be, to receive such gratitude? I mean, you guys are so kind to me all the time. It says, good morning, gentlemen, long time watcher. First time in the chat. Thank you for your work, Travis. Your channel is awesome. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you so much. Ground up again. I really appreciate that. Yeah. You, know, you have to understand how, how, um, likely or how I was, I really wasn't going to do this channel at all. I'm sorry to interrupt the, the article. We were kind of flowing here, but um, I wasn't going to do it. Cause I was, I was like, Who, who's going to watch this stuff? <laughs> I mean, who's going to listen, sit and listen to me go on and on about turf grass stuff. I, I didn't think it would be of any interest to anybody, but I there's a, I can't remember the name of it, but there is a, a well-known Uh, i have to go back and look it up but there's a well-known fallacy that just that i can't remember the name i wish i I have to go upstairs and get the uh, get my notes but it's the fallacy is or the the, i guess it's maybe it's a bias where when you learn something you sort of assume everybody else knows it too so you don't really worry about communicating because you just assume everybody knows it like i know how to do a rubik's cube I, I just assume everybody knows how to do a Rubik's cube. It's not, you know, but, but I realized, wait a second, almost no one knows how to do that, you know? And it's the same thing here. When I started to do this channel or before I started doing the channel, I was thinking, well, well everybody knows this. And, and, uh, and I, I told my wife, I was like, no one's going to watch me talk about this stuff. Cause everybody already knows it. Right. But that was my own flaw, right? That was my own flaw in reasoning. It was a, it was a flawed position i held because apparently a lot of people enjoy just kind of hanging out and listening and to an old gray-haired bald (laughs) retired past professor talk about this stuff so anyway i do do appreciate your kindness in the in the chat i do it means a lot it kind of keeps me motivated every now and i think do i really want to go over that do they really want to hear that and so when you guys have positive comments i i'll my vanity accepts them at all times. I'll accept all, all, all kind comments. <laughs> all right, I'm sorry. Let's get back. Okay, so the CDN ratio of the thatch cores on Bermuda grass was not influenced significantly by the treatments. However, cores inoculated with the Coriolis versicolor had the lowest carbon to nitrogen ratio relative to the other treatments. So this versicolor up here had the lowest one, but it was no different from the control. Sometimes, sometimes... Authors like to kind of smuggle in stuff like that when they really shouldn't. Sorry, Jerry. I love you. But, you know, if it didn't differ, then you can rank them. But that's just like a. Sort of like a. Inappropriate way to kind of identify significances when there was none. So, I mean, the control was 12.7 and the versicolor was 12.1. Anyway um let's go to centipede grass everybody's favorite grass i will say this one of my old good friends who still if he called me today i'd still answer the phone and talk to him i love i like him a lot um he has a centipede grass lawn in his backyard i think he lives in georgia so if i remember correctly he sent me some pictures of his backyard that's in centipede it looks immaculate looks <laughs> awesome james bartley if you're listening Talking about your back your backyard, great guy. And I don't know if he still has centipede grass in his backyard, but he loves it. It looks great, but it's 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 you know obviously a grass that you know the more you do to it, the bigger problems you're going to probably encounter. So let's see what happens with this these particular inoculum with centipede grass. The cellulose content of centipede grass cores was significantly reduced by inoculum of these two species and fern or whatever. I'm not a path. I can't pronounce these words. Table three. So we'll look at table three. Centipede grass cellulose content as influenced by inoculation with white rot fungi was similar to that reported from Bermuda grass. Okay. So about the same, but they showed a difference in cellulose. The cellulose content was reduced with this, these inoculated, you know, microorganisms. Lignin and the total quantity of oxidizable organic matter were significantly reduced by the Coriolis strain the Phebia, Giganta, and whatever the other one was did not significantly reduce lignin content of centipede grass core. So let's look at centipede grass. So and I probably won't be able to get it on here. Sorry, guys, if I can't get it on here. Oh, there we go. I got it on there. So it's the same table. It's just now instead of Bermuda grass, it's centipede grass. And, what he's, and you can see there's no significant difference in the carbon the nitrogen here. You can see that weight loss ignition there was. But the lignin content was 8.3 doing nothing and you see a reduction again in centipede grass using it the, the significant difference is 1.6 so uh whichever i don't know where it falls in here where exactly it is but the versicolor and the these two right here resulted in a reduction in the lignin okay whereas this particular one down here didn't do much at all so this is showing that there are some effects but they are organism specific okay so some, just because it's a white rot fungi doesn't necessarily mean it's going to do it. It has to be organism specific. In this case, of centipede grass, but it also had an effect on le- cellulose. Remember, don't get over, don't get uh, confused, or don't don't get overly focused on cellulose. It's nice if it does it, but it's probably going to do it anyway. This is hastening the, the effect. This is twelve months later. It did hasten the effect, but this cellulose generally doesn't really do a whole lot in terms of development of thatch, you know, in mo- in most cases. So, um, but if you're interested in it does, you're interested in breaking down, I guess it does. This showed it did break it down a little bit. Now let's look at St. Augustine grass. The white, the white, right. And so if you, if you haven't seen St. Augustine grass or your cool season, you haven't been in Florida or South Texas or whatever. St. Augustine grass looks very similar to centipede grass. Okay. But it's, it's a completely different species and it grows differently. It's very easy to manage. The white rot fungi used in this study did not significantly reduce cellulose content, weight loss, or cnn ratio. St. Augustine grass, so so it did on centipede grass, but on St. Augustine Augustine grass, it didn't. All species of the white rot fungi were applied significantly. Were that were applied, were significantly reduced the lignin content of the thatch. So in St. Augustine grass, all the products resulted in a reduction of lignin. Uh, St. Augustine grass thatch was lower on the average than the other species. This lower lignin content should enhance the decomposition of thatch, but apparently other factors were involved since the weight loss on ignition was comparable to that of Bermuda grass thatch. So here, over here on this table, now we're looking for those listening, we're looking at table, um, table four and all they're saying is there's no difference in St. Augustine grass cellulose. There's no difference weight loss on ignition. There's no difference on seed in ratio, but there was on lignin. So we're seeing differences on lignin with Bermuda grass with centipede grass, with St. Augustine grass. Let's go to the last one, Kentucky bluegrass, which is probably what a lot of people wanna look at. Kentucky bluegrass does not grow optimally under high temperatures. Unfortunately, they had some problems with the Kentucky bluegrass on the study, just so you know. The grass did not grow normally under the first six months of this study, even though it was maintained correctly, essentially. Therefore, the research of Kentucky bluegrass was terminated following the six-month sampling. So at six months, they stopped it. It just wasn't growing well. The thatch cellulose content, weight loss, ignition, and carbon to nitrogen ratio were not significantly influenced by inoculation with right route fungi. That, thatch lignin was significantly reduced by these two organisms. Wait, what? Thatch cellulose content, weight loss, ignition, oh, and carbon, Okay. But lignin was by these two. So in this case, we're looking at table five. And again, it's very similar to uh, the the, the St. Augustine grass where the cellulose didn't do anything, weight loss ignitions, carbon didn't do anything. But the lignin again was reduced by at least these two, the polyporous and the coriolis or whatever, reduced the lignin concentration, Okay. So we have four turf grasses, and one of them didn't really even grow that well in, in the first six months. Well, I remember in Florida, trying to keep Kentucky bluegrass alive in a greenhouse in 1980s, by the way, which <laughs> probably wasn't easy. And, but we still see reductions in the lignin concentration of all four turf grasses, but not by every organism. Okay. The cellulose influence on top dress. Now look now. Let's look at the top dressing on cellulose and lignin. Top dressing, whether applied as sand or as a mixture of sand and phosphate significantly reduced the cellulose content. Okay. Of Bermuda grass, centipede grass, and St. Augustine grass. So those three reduced the the cellulose content. The top dressing represented in an additional 16% of mineral matter, however, no, that might I don't even know why I highlighted that. Forget that. Um Oh, it says figure one. It says it reduced it and it says figure one. Now I've read a lot of scientific articles and there's errors. There's, I mean, there are some that I've read that have, I don't find any, but there's a lot of mistakes. I've written zero articles that have no mistakes. Okay. There's a lot of errors. You try to correct them. You do your best. You read it and you proofread it and editors read it and everybody reads it and you make make mistakes. Um, in this case, I've never seen this mistake. It says, "It says that's okay." The reduced the cellulose content of Bermuda centipede grass and St Augustine grass. Figure one for top dressing, and but there is no figure one in this article anywhere. And then down here it says significant reduced top dressing uh, uh, from the lignin. Figure two, and there's no figure two. And I've looked online to see if there's any. Uh, supplemental tables and there's no or figures and there's no supplemental figures so i don't know what happened but there's no figures in this and so we can't see the results in a figure format but um i'll read them as best i can but um colloidal phosphate was mixed with the sand to increase the water holding capacity of the top dressing material and create a more favorable environment for the fungal growth but the mixture of sand and colloidal phosphate top dressing did not increase the cellulose degradation rate of the white rot fungi relative to the sand only top dressing so they tried something it didn't work yeah big deal it happens but at least they tried it and we know that the colloidal phosphate at least the thought process behind it didn't result in some desired outcome or some expected outcome i should say the lignin content on, on top dressing let's see what happens the lignin contents of the thatch cores of bermuda grass st austin grass and kentucky bluegrass were significantly reduced with top dressings figure two and again there's no figure two okay so the, the centipede grass top dressing didn't do anything to the lignin the high lignin content of the centipede grass thatch was not significantly influenced by either top dressing mixture top dressings are commonly used on bermuda grass and in most cases are effective whereas top dressings are seldomly used on centipede grass and these data would indicate for a good reason turf grass thatch which has a low lignin status appears to be significantly influenced by the application of top dressing material. So let me sum that up and make it real simple. Centipede grass had the greatest amount of lignin among those turf grasses. That's the one grass that top dressing did not have an influence on the lignin content. The other grasses that had a lower lignin concentration, top dressing had a beneficial, reduc- showed a beneficial reduction in thatch. Okay. So pretty clear result there. Conclusions, we're already at the end, and we'll go to our video here at the end here. Cellulose content of Bermuda grass and St. Augustine grass thatch cores was significantly reduced by inoculation of the Phoebe gigantea. So that was cellulose of Bermudagrass and, okay, and centipede grass. Okay. The white rot fungi Coriolis versicolor produced the largest reduction in lignin content of the four turfgrass species. So this is good information for people looking at that at 80, in 84 to develop the process further which we have, as we're going to show next week. And we already showed in one paper, we're going to show next week. They're starting to extract the enzymes, so they're starting to kind of fine-tune and figure out exactly what it is. In this case, they said, okay, well, this organism did the best. So we can build on that. Total ox- about oxidizable organic material of the premier grass and centipede grass thatch was significantly reduced by the white rot fungi. In general, top dressing reduced the cellulose and lignin content of the turf grass. Remember, centipede grass, it didn't do, but the other ones, it did. Centipede grass thatch consistently contained higher levels of cellulose and lignin than the other turf grasses. The other overall magnitude of decrease in the components of thatch, which were det- determined in this study, was not great. In other words, it did show reduction, but the overall magnitude of that decrease wasn't particularly, you know, uh, it was significant statistically, but he's mentioning it was only a very small reduction. Many factors influenced the effectiveness of white rot fungi in degradating cellulose and lignin. Therefore, more information is needed for the factors and more research is needed, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So we have an article that took some information prior to and said, hey, these right rot fungi probably have an influence. Let's look at it. They actually inoculated the turf with those fungi and showed, it, showed that it had a beneficial, reduc- a beneficial reduction. It was species-specific of the microbes and it was species-specific of the turf grass. Okay, so... Um, you know, we're building, like I said in the past, science is a matter of building models and we're building a thatch model for turf grass. And we, now we know it's the lignin content that really has an, um, the the pro, It's the problem. We've got to find ways of breaking that down. And at this point, they didn't quite um, fine tune it yet, but they fine tune it enough to know that indeed the white rot fungi and not, uh, microorganisms themselves can have an impact. And from here, we'll see you know future papers that pull out the exact active product or active, you know, you know, enzyme in those microorganisms that do that breaking down. Okay. So, um, we will, we will do well. There's several, there's at least four more papers. I think I'm going to do five more papers on thatch uh, before we change the subjects, but and we're going to do a couple more that kind of build on this concept of, of white rot fungi enzymes on that note i um so also uh, on this on this paper or in this paper it identifies let me go back to it real quick I, it identifies these microorganisms okay and you might come across products that are marketed as thatch reducing products that contain microorganisms and yesterday's video was like you know bugs in a jug they don't really work well here we're showing these bugs, these microorganisms actually did have an effect. So someone someone, one could ask, well, Travis, how do you know? You can't just say bugs in a jug don't work. You, you know, That's true. I can't just say bugs in a jug don't work. What I'm saying is that study yesterday, well, those bugs in that jug didn't work. And in general, we don't see that they do much at all. In this case, we do see these microorganisms, microorganisms have an effect. In the, in other products, what I would do, and when you when you are presented with a product that says, "Oh, these are bugs in a jug," don't like I said yesterday, don't just say no, nope, they don't work, they don't those don't work, and I, I'm you know, I'm resistant, and I don't I don't want to believe you. It could, okay, it, it could. It's very unlikely, but it, it could for sure. But how would you know? Well, it's it's this is epistemology. How do I know? I'm pretty convinced that. These white rot fungi on these turf grasses will probably have some beneficial effect if applied at the appropriate rate, right? Because these—that's this paper clearly indicates that that could be the case with these turf grasses. But it doesn't mean other microorganisms will. Until I see results from other microorganisms, I'm not going to be convinced. And even in this case, I'm, I'm convinced But it's not so firmly and so strongly that it's like, yes, that's definitely what you should do. And it's going to cure all our problems. So what do you do if you're presented with products? Let's go to the Internet here. There's a gentleman who has a a, uh, YouTube channel. It's called the Greener Lawn. And he has a video talking about liquid dethatcher. Let's let's look into it. Let's let's watch it here. I I think his name is Jeremy apologize if that's incorrect but let's listen to it real quick i'm gonna skip i'm gonna read i'm gonna listen to about 20 seconds i'm gonna skip to the conclusions and kind of sums up the whole video let's listen here we go
1: what we are here to talk about today is thatch buster is an awesome product by turf titan that we are going to be talking about this season couple of their different product lines what does thatch buster do well thatch buster gets in and breaks up the thatch that's down at the soil level this material down here that's
0: okay so he made a claim Thatch Buster gets in and breaks up the material at the soil level. Of course, he has no evidence to support that, but that's his claim. Let's go to the conclusions here in his video. It just kind of sums up what he did and you know, all these things. But he's talking about applying Thatch Buster to break up thatch.
1: So as far as this goes, that's a super easy application. goes out super quickly, gets it done. So after you do it, you're supposed to water it in for 20 minutes after the fact with like a quarter of an inch of water. We're getting raindrops as I speak right now. So I'm just gonna let the water, water it in. I made sure that I did this on a day that it was about to rain. So I'm just taking advantage of nature. Technically my sprinklers aren't even on right now. So totally fine. Make sure that when you do this application, that you do it when it's the cooler part of the day so that it doesn't evaporate, gets down into the soil. I will be doing a follow-up video to this in a few weeks to see how it's done. They do recommend doing it weekly for the best results you can do it monthly if you'd like um but if you do these applications weekly you get the microbes down in there and they really start to perform really well
0: okay so that's the gist of it um (laughs) lush says please don't ruin my thanksgiving with youtube yeah i don't my he's talking about my thanksgiving yeah i'll be all right thank you for your concern though (laughs) This one, I'm. Remember, I'm not Jeremy. I'm sure is a perfectly fine guy. That you know, I don't. He's. I don't know if he's selling this or what. I don't know if he owns the company. I have no idea. But he's promoting the product and saying that it'll break up stuff. And you have to remember, I don't. I don't um, fault the people for believing certain in a, inaccurate claims. I don't fault them. I see them oftentimes as victims of misinformation. It's not their. It's not necessarily their fault. You know, not to get into the whole. Um, you know solipsism and all this other stuff, but not to get too far down that road right now, but you can't control your belief. You can't control what you believe, right? You didn't, you didn't wake up one day and decide, I'm going to marry, I'm going to fall in love with that girl. You know, you can decide to marry her, but I'm going to fall in love with that, that girl. you didn't do that. You became convinced over time. You didn't believe you didn't wake up and you can't choose your beliefs is what I'm saying. No one can choose your belief. And this particular guy believes this works. He didn't choose it. He just became convinced for whatever reasons, probably for bad reasons. Um, but that's what we're talking about today is epistemology. How does he know? How How do you know? Because this might work. I mean, I don't know. So how would I go about it? I I saw this video and I like, okay, well, thatch buster. I don't know what's in it. I don't know if it works. I have no clue. I've never seen it. So what I'll do, I'm just going to give you an idea of my thought process, Um, is... I'll go and I'll look up the article. I'll look up the product, right? And so here's the product. Um, I don't know who sells it. I guess this Turf, I guess Turf Titan sells it. I don't know. I, I don't know if they're the company that makes it or sells it. I don't know. But anyway, this is the product. And you can go, oh, man, this thing is glitching all over creation. Um, you can click on the, the bottle and hopefully it'll zoom in. Yeah, so you can zoom in on the bottle to kind of get an idea what's in it. And you can read the claim: Thatch Buster is a concentrated lawn thatch degrader that reduces the need for mechanical aeration and power raking. Non-GMO and con- non-GMO, and containing over two dozen strains of natural occurring microorganisms that utilize the spent thatch as food source. Okay, so there's a lot of claims there. All right. So basically, what they're saying is they're using the thatch. The microorganisms are using thatch as a food source, and that'll break it down. Okay. Um, and we see the microorganisms on the guaranteed analysis here. It says, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to pronounce any of these microorganisms, but Bacillus lichenformus, cellulomus, cellulase, <laughs> and Pseudomonas b- b- balearchia. I can't even pronounce those words. So those are three organisms that I saw on the label. Now I know, um, that I just read an article that contained microorganisms that, Are known to break down thatch or break down lignin i should say so i read this i'm just i'm just walking you through my thought process i read this and i go okay there's some microorganisms on there i read an article that has microorganisms on it let me go see what these microorganisms are because if they are come if they are uh, derived from white rot fungi and applied at the right rate on the right turf then it's possible it could have an effect so I just go Google it, and the Pseudomonas baliarchia whatever, says it's a gram-negative rod-shaped non-fluorescent modal dinitrifying bacteria. So it's a bacteria. It's not a fungi, not a fungus. Okay, it may have some other um, activity in breaking down certain things, but there's no, as far as I know, there's no information in, this, in the turfgrass literature that indicates this bacteria would have an effect on a lignin degradation. So that takes off one, the Pseudomonas, whatever, the last one. Then I go to the Cellulomonas. I can tell you right now it's going to be Cellulase because the name of it says Cellulomonas, Cellulaceae. And it says Cellulomonas is a genus of gram-positive rod bacteria. And one of their distinguishing features is their ability to degrade cellulose. So remember, we just spoke about thatch and there's a component cellulose, which is generally the soluble component. And then a, a very insoluble component of thatch being lignin and i'm not i'm not overly concerned about cellulose okay because and neither should you be because it's not we we know now that returning clippings doesn't really contribute to thatch production that's pretty that's pretty well established in the literature and the reason why is because the cellulose in those clippings gets broken down very quickly so i wouldn't i mean it may have an effect on cellulose but it's sort of like a so what type of thing it's probably that's not really what we're going after when we're trying to break down thatch we have to have something in there that breaks down the lignin and so the last uh active ingredient is the is the bacillus lichen informus whatever it's called and you go here and it says uh the bacillus lichen whatever is <laughs> a bacterium commonly found in the soil it's found on bird feathers especially chest da-da-da-da-da. and, and it, it's, it is a gram positive mesophilic bacteria Okay. So again, it's not from a white, it's not a fungi that comes from the white rot group of fungi. So when I, for me, when I'm critically thinking my way through here, I don't automatically assume it's not going to work, but I don't automatically assume it is going to work either. I need some sort of convincing information. And when I read the, the active ingredients, I don't see any microorganism on there that, that is known to, have an influence on lignin in thatch and that's what i need to be focused on okay we can talk about the rates i don't know how you would ever do anything with these rates but uh, regardless i'm just letting you know that's my thought process so when you're presented with information or a product or a claim i i hope you don't walk away and say well those are bugs and you shouldn't do that i'm not you're not going to convince me because you know that's That's not, that's contrary to where I'm, what I'm hoping we develop in our critical thinking skills. It's just being neutral. You don't know if it's going to work. You don't know if it's not going to work. It's up to that person to convince you. And just providing a label that contains microorganisms is not sufficient to convince me. And it shouldn't be you either. So what do you do? You go and look it up, go look at the microorganisms and see, or do they come from white rot fungi or there, or is there any uh information in the turf grass literature that indicates that those microorganisms actually would result in a reduction in lignin don't don't get distracted by um, the other more readily broken down or decomposable components of lignin i mean of thatch okay um i have one more thing at the very end um that i'm just going to mention briefly before i go so hang on with me real tight here and i'll i'll uh before i go i'll mention one more thing that's on my mind um, oh, Lush says you met him in real person. He's like, nice. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't fault anybody, any, any person for uh, believing something or, um, you know, having a position on something, even if it is wrong, even if the belief is not justified, I don't fault the person, you know, the person is, like I said, in in many ways, they're a victim in my mind. I see them as somebody to help, not to, not to, you know, ridicule. Um, Eric Sand says, he seems to be a nice guy. He does, did offer a paid lawn consultation. Don't love that. Yeah. I had a supplier, uh, Looney says, I had a supplier push a product with humic and fulvic acids for thatch control. Oh, okay. So this, okay, let me read this. This was the claim. The added carbon content in the R5 plus will further boost beneficial soil microbes, which can help reduce thatch, improve nutrient and moisture uptake, and ultimately enhance the plant's ability to withstand environmental stresses. So <laughs> So... So I wonder Looney how you how you managed that. I mean how you mentally navigated that process because the he's making very specific claims of humic and fulvic acids and those humic and fulvic acids prov- have carbon in them that essentially inflates the microbial activity or population and then therefore breaks things down more readily or more rapidly. But I will say that and I haven't got. I need. To, I need to. Judge, maybe it'll be the next paper on Monday. I need to get into this the sugar product. There's one sugar product that I'm I'm personally not convinced. To be frank, even if it is in the literature, I'm not convinced because of the manner in which it's presented, and the manner the the publications that it's been in. It just takes a little bit more for me to be convinced than just one paper, um, particularly when we know there's other papers that have shown glucose and sucrose don't have an effect. From the 60s and saying, in fact, we've gone over one of those papers where they looked at a sugar and it didn't have any effect. Um, but there is a paper, that I think there might be two papers actually, that show that there's a certain type of sugar did have a beneficial effect. So, and that is the process of providing soluble carbon or a food source for the microbes that hyperinflate that activity, the, the activity or the population, and in turn it would reduce thatch. So it, the concept is there. You know, the 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 framework of that process is. You know possible and and i would say it's potentially probable okay and there's some information there's some evidence I, again i'm not convinced but there's some evidence that it potentially it could occur but he's saying humic and fulvic acid that's a much more specific claim than just soluble carbon okay the more specific the claim is the more extraordinary it is so if i say um well let's just use religion if you say I believe there's a God, okay, that's a that's an extraordinary claim. But if you say, I believe in the Buddhist God, or I believe in the Indian gods, or I believe in the Christian God, that's a more extraordinary claim. <laughs> so you need more evidence even beyond just um, you know that. So if you're going to do sugars, well, okay, that's a claim. If you're going to say these specific sugars, you even need more extraordinary evidence to support that spe- more s- extraordinary claim. And that's what he's saying. So humic and fulvic acid is... Is that and that'd be easy to that's I don't know if it's in the literature or not. To looking specifically at thatch reduction, I can look that up. Um, but I, I would be um, skeptical, you know. Looney says I did ask for some evidence if they had any product testing results. He had none, but he gave me a bottle for free for testing. <laughs> so be careful, Looney. Okay, um, I'm, I'm that this is this is the trap. Okay. Oh, here, take some and test it. You know. Like I've said before, I do not condone or encourage anybody to do their own research for that specific reason. Manufacturers and distributors love giving out free samples because when you get it in someone's hands and they put it out, there's a lot of, there's a much greater probability that they're going to think they see something and buy the product, buy a two and a half gallon jug or whatever. And I'm not saying you don't see something. What I'm saying is unless you're properly trained and you know how to balance out all the other errors and account for just that specific effect, you are very likely to put it out, believe you observe something and be even more convinced that it works. And I'm not saying it didn't work. Maybe it did work, but I'm just saying you need to be able to to factor out and balance out the effects that could be biasing your results. And so just be very careful when you go out and start putting out something, just squirt it out and say, Oh, let me see if I see something. Cause you probably will see something just the confirmation bias alone in your mind is, is enough to potentially convince you confirmation bias is a huge problem with humans. You know, we, we all have it and we need to be able to factor that out. But basically the idea behind research and, and the scientific method is to factor out the human being. We want to remove as much of the human factor as possible from the research process because we know we're biased, right? We know we have flaws and we don't want that to affect our results. And so just be careful with that. <laughs> so when you ask him for evidence and you say, the other, the other thing I want to mention on your, your comment Looney, is, um, if they had any product testing results, he said he had none. When you say product testing results, um, I'll get into this but you want to be real careful when you say, do you have any product testing results? Because what they'll do is they'll hand you a flyer from univer I'll just say university of Florida or Kentucky, because I was there. I don't want to, I don't want to seem like I'm bashing other universities. I was at these two universities. Oh, here's a result from the university of Florida and it shows my research track. This has happened to me. Here's a result. Dr. Shaddock's found in Fort Lauderdale and I see the flyer and I'm like, Oh my God, I did that study. I don't know how many times, I, mean, I don't know, I had maybe eight treatments in it, and they cherry picked out one time that I saw a response and they removed all the other treatments to magnify their particular product. But if you saw the entire study, or you saw all the locations, of the entire study, I think with that context, you'd be much less likely to be convinced that it would be something you'd want to buy. But they, they intentionally cherry pick out specific points. That they believe are going to convince you. So be very careful with that when you ask for, you know, product testing results. If the if it's in the published literature or the refereed literature, I'm much much more confident in that. Okay, just just keep that in mind. Before I go, uh, next Wednesday, I have conf- I have confirmed the author that I w- was really hoping would come on is going to be on on the Wednesday after Thanksgiving at 9 p.m. Eastern time, okay? It's going to be scheduled at 9. It might be 9. It might be... A, it's going to be around 9. Let's just say that because between he and I trying to figure out the, the the technical logistics of getting him on and getting me on and getting everything lined up, it might be a little delayed. But next Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time, the week after Thanksgiving, you'll, you'll want to... Try your best to be here live, or at least watch the show immediately after, because we're gonna. Ha- I'm gonna have an author on that. I still am amazed that he'll come on. He's he's extremely good at what he does. One of the most respected turfgrass scientists I know of, um, and and he said, yeah, he'd love to come on and talk about his article. So we're gonna talk about it next Wednesday. I'm really looking forward to that, and I hope hope it turns out well. I hope I don't screw it up. Basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, guys everybody have a good Thanksgiving. Um, I really, I really hope you have a good Thanksgiving with your family, wherever you're traveling. I hope you get there safe and get back safe. I'll be back on the Monday after Thanksgiving at at 10 o'clock Eastern time. We have a couple more thatch papers to go over until then guys. I really appreciate all the chat and and the participation in the channel. If you want to listen to it live, you can go to YouTube or you can go to any of your podcast formats. And I believe you can get your, uh, the, the turf epistemology on, on the podcast platforms as well now. So thanks a lot. I'll see you in about a week. Bye.